The Gospel of Mark. So what was discipleship for Mark? What was discipleship? So again, we're thinking about the whole Gospel. Mark is the shortest Gospel. It's got 16 chapters in it. Uh, And we can see a theme that really emerges, and that is discipleship. And discipleship for Mark was essentially a a relationship with Christ. A relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Not merely following a certain code of conduct. Fellowship with Jesus marks the heart of the disciple's life. And this fellowship includes trusting Christ, confessing Christ, taking note of His conduct, following His teaching, being shaped by a relationship to Him, and being prepared to face the kind of rejection that Jesus faced. So when we think about discipleship also, we should consider that what, you know, at the heart of a disciple, sort of another aspect really of validating our discipleship of Christ is are we involved in disciple making, right? Are we, are we being used to perpetuate the faith? Because that really does ultimately validate our discipleship. Now, we, uh, we see here that um, the Gospels tended to have an apostle's stamp of approval. And what, who would the apostle be for the Gospel of Mark, do you think? Peter, that's right. It's the record of Peter's association with Jesus, directed primarily at a Gentile audience. And so he, in the midst of the Gospel of Mark, uh, what we see here is he's going to explain some of the aspects of, uh, of Judaism. Now, why would, he, why would he do that, do you think? Why would he be interested in the Gentiles becoming familiar with certain Jewish customs? Yeah, right. I mean, what does atonement mean if you know nothing about the temple? Right? What does the concept of sacrifice mean? Or what does the, what does the, concept, the concept of, of a Messiah mean without an understanding of, of Jewish uh, tradition? Right? What does... What does um, sure, what does a covenant mean? Right? What is a the purpose of the law of God given to a redeemed people, right? You want to know how to be a Christian? Well, you, you have to look at the law of God, right, and see that. So that would be uh, an important idea. So he wants to familiarize his audience with, with Jewish customs because only then will they see Jesus as the culmination of God's work with Israel. And this is an important idea because we want to affirm, and uh, you know, that, that Christianity uh, isn't... New. Uh, it's the culmination of observant Old Testament Judaism. That's what Christianity is. It's the fulfillment of the work of God. And so, so this is an important idea. Some, you know, in our common culture here, there's often this idea that there, you know, there are um, what three monotheistic religions, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. And when you even say it in those terms, right, it, it seems as if it's a separate thing. And certainly it could be described as a separate thing, right? But more specifically and more properly, we should see that Christianity 
of course, is the fulfillment, the ultimate culmination of Old Testament Judaism, right? And to leave off Judaism and not enter into Christianity, of course, is a truncated version of biblical religion. And to look at Islam is a perversion. It's an absolute perversion of biblical religion. And so that would be a far better distinction and way to describe uh, what, again, some would call just these... These, uh, these somehow harmonious, you know, three monotheistic religions, but in fact they are, they are certainly not harmonious, and, uh, and they, you know, they cannot exist. There's nothing more exclusive than Christianity. And that's simply what the Lord has determined, what He has set before us. So who was Mark? The cousin of Barnabas. Okay. Not a lot of information on Mark. Anything else we know? Paul got mad at him. Okay. Mark wasn't a great leader, but he was a follower, right? Not a master builder, but a helper. Not a flawless one, but one who fought against and overcame his weakness. Not a stay-at-home guy, but a great traveler. Not preeminently a man of quiet contemplation, but a man of action, who delighted to picture Christ in action for the salvation of sinners to the glory of God. We should probably expect that Mark dealt with the currency of the gospel his whole life. Mark was likely an individual who, who... came into uh, these concepts of Messiah, of the Lord Jesus Christ, early on. He was seen, of course, as, um, as a helper, as one who could ultimately bring something to the fight, as it were, for the kingdom. Uh, and so that was, that was Mark. Uh, now, we also have uh, another look here uh, at, uh, at Mary. Uh, This Mary, uh, evidently a woman of means, used her means for gospel endeavors, not the Mary of the mother of Jesus, not Mary Magdalene, not Mary of Bethany, or Mary the mother of James and Joseph. But uh, we see her in this gospel. Now, as was mentioned by Woody, Acts 15 indicates that... uh, that Mark deserted the missionary team in Pamphylia, which led Paul to find him an unsuitable traveling companion for his second missionary journey. But we also know that he matured in his faith and fearlessness and was seen as a matchless assistant to Paul later in his life, recorded in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. So just some brief uh, personalities here in the Gospel of Mark. Anybody happen to know what it seems that Mark's favorite word is? Okay, immediately, yeah. So, 
for the King James straightway. Straightway. I love it. Okay. So this uh, little word immediately, you know, shows up in the Bible 107 times. But 39 of those times is in the Gospel of Mark. In the 16 chapters in Mark. So, you know. Uh, now, why do you think that seemed to strike Mark? We're just conjecturing here. We, we're, we can't really be sure, obviously. But what do you think? The word immediately. Some of you like the word immediately. Some of you might not be so drawn to that word. That's all right. Maybe he's a, a man of action. He wants to. Okay. This is great, but let's, let's do this. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Okay. He's ready to go. Yeah. We need guys like that. Right? It also often seems to be connected to the, the power of God at work in the person of Jesus, which is Right. I mean, it isn't really a description of Mark, right? But it's just the word that Mark wants to use as he sees Jesus, right? And he's drawn to the Savior, and he's drawn to this one who, you know, he, he's not a guy that sits around and watches things happen. He's not a guy that sits around and says, what just happened? He's a guy that makes things happen. That's our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? There's also the idea that it ties in with what is his theme. His theme being to make disciples. Mm-hmm. So he's he's in this urgency of what's happening. It's something that's got to be done. And we're not just going to sit around and wait for it. Immediately. Yeah. It's important. Urgent. That's good. Maybe he wanted to emphasize that when God wanted something to happen, he didn't contemplate it or ponder it or procrastinate. When God wanted it to happen, it so let's get a feel for his writing. Let's look at a few a few passages here, why don't we, and just get a sense of this. Let's look at chapter 5. Chapter 5, beginning in verse 2. When Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain, for he had been often bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran fell down before him, crying out. He said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Let's look over here at chapter 6, verse 30. Chapter 6, verse 30, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him they had done all they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. 
And he began to teach them many things. Let's look at chapter 7, verse 31. Then he, that is uh, the Lord Jesus, returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue and looked up to heaven. He sighed and said to him, Epaphatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged him to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealous they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And then in chapter 8, verse 22, just again getting a feel for what Peter saw as he watched this man, Jesus. Chapter 8, verse 22, they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. A bit of mystery, of course, surrounds the way Jesus did miracles and what he would say to some of those who were healed. Chapter 9, verse 14. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd among them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire, into water, to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if, if you can. If you can. Can the Son of God heal a boy? Jesus said, all things are possible for him who believes. So, the Gospel of Mark here. Again, kind of like a fast-paced movie. When we look, I mean, Mark is very easily read in one setting, and it would probably be, you know, good for us uh, to to do that, uh, perhaps a few times through the course of this uh, Sunday school session here. So we see what Peter saw as an eyewitness, and who was who was Peter? It was this guy. Was he a 
a manicured student? No. No. Peter had dirt under his fingernails. I guarantee it. Peter was a fisherman, but he wasn't a bass fisherman. He was a he was a rough hewn man. He was a man who spent days and nights on the sea with the waves. He was a man who was absolutely dependent upon a catch of fish for his livelihood. Peter was a regular guy. But we should see that, again, Peter was a rough-hewn man. I mean, what does the name Peter mean? Rock. <laughs> yeah, rock. His name doesn't mean pillow, okay? Peter. That's who Peter was, right? And, and Peter was, I mean, he was, he was impetuous. I mean, Peter, everything he did, both feet immediately, right? What did he, I love it. I love the picture when Jesus is discovered on the shore, when after Peter says, I'm going fishing, when he says that this whole thing is a bust, my Lord and Savior Jesus is dead, and then he sees him on the shore, what does he do? He swims to shore. I love Peter. He's, yeah, sure, he's, he's a little fast sometimes, he's a little slow sometimes. Um, yeah. That's Peter. No-nonsense guy. We can relate to Peter. Now, let's look at some of the response to Jesus' teaching. Some of the response here. Some believed. We can look at 2.5, for instance. Some, some believed Christ. That should be refreshing to us, right? <laughs> 2.5, Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, Your sins are forgiven. 534. This is the, the woman who had the issue of blood. He said to her daughter, your faith has, been, has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Some believed. Some were bewildered, confused, puzzled, baffled, mystified. Look at chapter 3, verse 20. He went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. You ever been accused of being out of your mind? Let's look at 6 here, 649. Again, some were baffled, bewildered, confused, 649. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. They didn't, under- didn't understand. Some were belligerent. They were aggressive. They were opposed. They were antagonistic. Look back again at chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. You know, when you read the Gospels, it's easy to get this impression that there were guys just walking around Jerusalem all the time just healing people. And that just so happened that, you know, Jesus decided to heal on the Lord's Day and, or on the Sabbath day. And, but it's again, it, it's, it's, it's such a a strange, a pathetic, sinful response uh, to, to, to gripe about 
the way Jesus healed people of their illnesses. Chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. These who were belligerent and opposed to Christ. Chapter 14. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him for they said not during the feast there must, lest there be an uproar from the people. Lest there be an uproar from the people. So again, we see this concept of discipleship. We see relationship with Jesus. We see trusting Christ. We see confessing Christ with Peter's confession in chapter 8. We see what Jesus did. We see how people are shaped by a relationship with Christ. And we see that they're prepared to face the kind of rejection that Jesus faced. So let's think about this a little bit. Let's consider relationship with Jesus. Looking at chapter 1, verses 14 to 20. A relationship with Jesus. Chapter 1, verses 14 to 20. So let's, let's try to pull out of Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 20, certain aspects of a relationship with Jesus. Okay. Jesus certainly presented himself as a teacher, didn't he? He displayed commanding authority. The same as John the Baptist said. He said, repent and believe. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Yeah, I mean, think about it. I mean, so he walks along, and we don't know if this was the first occasion of their meeting, but nonetheless, what does the story have here? This guy was powerful, the Lord Jesus. They were drawn to follow him. He spoke with authority, led with authority. Of course, he worked on their heart, right? As the Son of God. You see in the background the work of the Holy Spirit convincing them Hmm. of his authority to call them. Yeah. It's not stated clearly there, but it's something effectual is more known here. Yeah, they didn't immediately leave their nets because they intellectually thought Jesus was a smart man. Yeah. Yeah. 
very compelling. Yeah, they weren't convinced by an argument that his way was the better way. I love his play on words. Oh, what's that? You will no longer be fishers of fishers, <laughs> or fishes, but fishers of men. Like turning, turning that um, livelihood, I guess, into a, a, another calling. Yeah. He says, I will make you, will make us that would be, yeah. or those guys, us too. Amen. Well, I mean, of course, there's so much in that, right? But these guys knew a little about fishing, right? And there was some, there was some skills, you know. I think these guys obviously could apply in some sense, but doubtless that wasn't why he selected them. I mean, he he had other non-fishermen apostles, right? So, followers. But there likely is something in the in the metaphor. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. We should be people over heads and bibles, but there's there's something Okay. I have a picture of just a scooping up, you know. Yeah. Perhaps an indication of the harvest, maybe, as well, you know. So, of course, we could ask ourselves the question what kind of impact is the gospel call having on us? I mean, the same Christ. The same Christ. walked by you. Right? Same Christ. Now, let's look at trusting Christ. Let's look at uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Let's talk about some of the... uh, What does it look like to trust Christ? What does it look like to trust Christ? Mark 2, verses 1 through 10. He's going to make it happen. I was thinking about that that story because we were talking about this a while back. The, the amount of what are these guys doing? They're taking this roof off of this house. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't even their house, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, in. yeah, right. Jesus is in there. Right? Yes, in. yes, yes. And evidently, they weren't told stop that. You're tearing my roof apart. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Who knows? That might have happened too, but it wasn't. Right, but it's it's just amazing to me. To me, this yes, all these people they're really crowded, you know, and then maybe people weren't didn't notice. I don't know, but it's, it's that kind of a <laughs> seal team one insertion. There we go. But we also see the importance of the faith of those who were in uh, 
but the role that they played that, that in was the seven. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the fellowship. Yeah, so saw their faith. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Any one of those men could have walked up to Jesus themselves alone. Mm-hmm. But to go there as a group and carry that man. Yeah. They had to go another way together. And they made that way. That's a powerful message, actually. And their love for him. They could have just set him down and all just wiggled their way through the crowd and listened. Some of you have probably been in the situation where maybe a work situation or, you know, maybe your grandfather or grandmother, but something was needful. And you had the confidence to say, go see him and he'll make it happen. It doesn't matter what it is. He'll make it happen. And we'll get there. You just you just got to make it there, right? And that's it. That's Christ. I mean, he he does all things well. Trusting in Christ, he's worth. Yes. Who went to Jesus and was disappointed? Whoever went to Jesus and was disappointed. Nobody. I'm not jumping ahead of you too much, but uh, I've always been struck by the description of faith in Mark 9 that we, we looked at earlier with the, uh, the man who brings the son with the devil. And hmm. he's, he talks about how when Jesus tells him if you can believe all things are possible, then he believes. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with you, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. So, we're talking about faith here, this concept of faith in Christ. I, I think John speaks of this regularly, that, that it's it's not faith in my faith. My faith is, is in perfect. My faith is in mm-hmm. It's faith in Christ. Yeah. That's yeah, amen. Thank you. Well, so we could ask ourselves the question, right, what are the outward signs that we're trusting in Christ? I mean, th- those guys went on the roof, right? They were like tearing this roof up, right? Somebody called them out and said, what are you doing? Oh, well, he's going to make it happen. What were you going to say, Carlos? I was going to say, the, uh, in response to all these things, everybody's astonished. Uh, you know, they're just amazed by uh, everything that Christ is doing. Just, yep. You get to see that, and hopefully that's uh, mm-hmm. something that's reflecting our own lives, that we're still, mm. you know, years down the road. When, I can't believe God did that, especially as we get to look back and see that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Outward signs that we're trusting in Christ. They were expecting him to heal his body, mm-hmm. but that's not what Jesus immediately did. He said, "Your son, your sins are forgiven." Yep, that's right. I think this—you so, could easily. Sorry, go ahead. His body wasn't the problem. Mm-hmm. Yep, we get to the real heart of the matter, right? You had asked who 
who was disappointed. Uh, I was thinking about your sermon and all the Pharisees and all the people are coming and listening and trying to trap Jesus because they know a truth that's not true. Mm-hmm. They think the Messiah is somebody else. Mm-hmm. But these people that are believing and following know a truth that is true. And they can see what's going on. And that's why the Pharisees and everybody are so disappointed and why some of these others are so drawn to Christ because they know a truth that's true. I think of the rich young ruler too. There was another man Mm. that came to Jesus and he Mm -hmm. was really disappointed because he wasn't willing to tear that roof apart. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he misvalued his relationship with the Savior, right? He didn't view him as the pearl of great price. You can take note of his conduct here, uh, chapter 6, verse 12. Six twelve. This is the twelve apostles. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. So again, a question for us. How are we following the teaching of Christ? You know, it's important in one of the... Uh, significant things I think that we might tend to miss in the Scriptures is we, we may get fixated on the imperatives. We, we should do what Jesus tells us to do, right? But the actions of Christ are also imperatives. What did He do? Right? We can't heal people, but we can follow Him, right? And we can say and do things that obviously He's allowed us as humans to do. Okay, yep. Right. That's right. How do we follow the teaching of Christ? Right. He will heal you. He will bring about forgiveness. He will give you new life. Uh, We can end with this in chapter 13. Prepared to face the kind of rejection that Jesus faced. Jesus tells His followers, verse 9, chapter 13, Be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you'll be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for My sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you speak, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will deliver brother over to death. The father is child. Children will rise against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, there's a pep talk for you. Here's the commander of the Lord's army. He says, look to your right and left. 
Well, do we have the faith to face the kind of difficulty that comes from being a follower of Christ? If you have saving faith, you do. Saving faith is about a quality of faith, not a quantity of faith, right? Thankfully, our faith can grow, right? Saving faith can grow, right? But it's not that the cup of just any old kind of faith has to be filled to a certain level, and then at that point, it becomes saving. It's the quality, right? God can give to us saving faith and this saving faith that we have in the Savior will give us the strength to face difficulty. Other comments at all here? Call the discipleship the effects of following the Lord. Amen. Yeah. 